church. Thanks for that warm welcome. I don't know what I did to deserve that, but I'll take it. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 12, verse, verse 35, if you'll turn there with me, please. Man, I just, uh, I love that, that song that, that Jess sang, and it had that, that bridge that just would go into the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Church, Jesus is coming back. And I was, I was thinking about how to start this sermon this morning, and there was this temptation, and I think often it's appropriate, it's a good way to start a sermon, to, to come up with something cute to say, a nice little story, but then I just couldn't get over the fact that Jesus is coming back. And I want to just invite us to do something a little different before we get into the word this morning. I just want us to take stock real quick. When you hear that, when you hear that Jesus is coming back, what does your heart do with that? When the lover of your soul but also the judge of the nations could show up at any moment. This very moment he could show up and we would have no right to be surprised. What does your heart do with that? I think, I think honestly we could find ourselves on a spectrum. On some side, right, like it could just be skepticism. Like some of us could be sitting even here, even if you grew up in your church your whole life and be like, I don't really know how much I actually believe that. People have been saying Jesus is gonna come back for 2,000 years now, and I just don't, I just don't know that I buy it. Um, that's one side of the spectrum, and if that's you this morning, like, that's okay, I'm glad that you're here of all places and that you're, you're willing to enter into that conversation, but my, my prayer is that the Lord would move in your heart to make you ready for his coming. And on the other side of the spectrum, there's those of us that would kind of sit in that self-righteous posture, right? Like our, our, we're sit back, our feet are kicked up, and we're just kind of waiting for Jesus to come back for the greatest show of I told you so I've ever seen, <laughs> right? This is when Jesus is finally going to come back and tell everybody else that they were wrong and I was right. And my prayer for you this morning is that God would work in your heart to make you actually ready for his coming. Because if that's our posture, then we're still not ready. And so the Lord is coming and we must be ready for his coming. And that's what we're going to look at today in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 35. Let's read God's word together. It says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him uh, once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us all? Are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect him, and at an hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Let's pray. Father God, what a heavy text. What a good text. What a hard text, Father, but it's your word. And Lord, we just want to look at it together this morning. Lord, we ask that your spirit would come and teach us. Lord, I know that nothing that I can say on this stage will get anybody ready for your coming. But your Holy Spirit can, Lord. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is David. I'm on the preaching team here at Zion. Uh, I might look familiar to some of you because if you picked up the card in your seat, there was mine and my wife's face on it. I'm going to explain that later, not in this sermon, uh, but we will have a time after the preaching. Uh, so just, just uh, hold on to that. Don't, don't rip it up. Don't use it to pick your teeth. Just, just hold on to it. Um, but I said this morning we were talking about being ready for the coming of the Lord. And I know for many of us that makes us excited. We're like, yes, we're going to get into some, some end time prophecies, some Mark of the Beast type stuff. Uh, and I just got to warn you, that is not this sermon. Because uh, being ready for the coming of the Lord is not just about future events and end time prophecies. It's actually a very present reality that dictates how we live. And so I'm hoping this morning to kind of bring that idea of the second coming of Jesus, of the coming of the Lord. I want to take that out of like the mystical realm of like really strange YouTube channels that you find at like three in the morning. And I just want to bring it into the present reality of what does this mean for, for how we live our lives. And so we're going to look at what does it mean to be ready for the coming of the Lord? Who needs to be ready for the coming of the Lord? And what are some actual practical ways to, to stay ready? Um, and so we're used to, to hearing this, this term, right? Like we're just, we're waiting on the Lord. We're waiting on the coming of the Lord. Um, but as we read in the scripture this morning, I think we kind of need to reorient ourselves around what it means to wait for the coming of the Lord. And as I began to think about this, I began to realize there's actually a lot of different uh, types of waiting. But when it comes to waiting on the Lord, that this is an active waiting. So what it means to be ready for the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Jesus, is it means to have this, this posture of active waiting. This isn't a passive waiting. Let's look real quick again at verse 35 through verse 36, and you'll see uh, a bit what I mean. It jumps right to the point. It says, stay dressed for what? For action, not for sitting still, not for doing nothing. And then it keeps going. Keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for the master to come home from the wedding feast. This, this parable that Jesus is telling to kind of help people wrap their minds around, uh, around what it means to be ready for the coming of the Lord it revolves around these servants who are waiting up at night for their master to come home from a big celebration. And I think that's, that's really important because normally when we think about waiting up at night, we're thinking about things like, like we're getting sleepy, we're winding down, we're relaxing, we're unplugging, right? How many of you guys after a long day of work, you just want to go home and unwind, right? You just want to go home and unplug, put on something mindless, read a book, listen to some music. 
And here Jesus is painting the exact opposite picture of an evening. This is an evening filled with activity. That first verse says, stay dressed for action. That they translated that from a different phrase that actually says to gird up your loins, right? And we're glad that they translated that because that's a bit strange to us. Uh, to gird up your loins, this was, so men back in the day of Jesus' day, they wore these, these long flowing robes. And really only the women in the room here could sympathize. But if you're ever wearing a long dress, like the last thing you can do is take off running. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to share this story, but I'll share it because it makes me laugh. But like I lived in a, in a culture once where men kind of wore these, these long kilts that would go down to the ankle. And I wanted to, you know, contextualize and be appropriate in the culture. So one day I wore one. And then something happened and I had to, to run. And I quickly realized like you couldn't do it. And so you end up just doing these like little short steps and you, you just look silly. And so, so the solution is uh, not that you, you hike up the, the dress like a skirt, but men back in that day would, would literally what they call gird up, which means they would, I'm not going to demonstrate it because it's awkward, but they would, they would grab the underside of, of the, the kilt, bring it up around their knees and then tie it off so that they could get up and move if they had to. And that's the type of picture that Jesus is, is painting here. Like you have to be people who are ready to move. And so that when it comes to waiting on the Lord, this isn't a passive process. It's an active process. There's things going on. Uh, I thought about it. It's a bit like, like planning a wedding. All right. Uh, Caitlin and I, just, we're, we've been married for, for about two and a half years. And I just remember I proposed to her in November and we got married in May. And so that was about six months of engagement. And for anybody that's ever been engaged, uh, you know that that is a waiting period. But also for anybody that's been engaged, you know that that time frame is anything but passive, right? Like you are so busy. I remember uh, like a week before Caitlin and I got married, I was just looking at her. I was like, I can't wait to be your husband uh, because we're going to be married, but also because we won't have to plan a wedding anymore. <laughs> like I was so excited about it. And I mean, there's just so much in that time period, right? Like you're spreading the word to others. You have to let other people know that this event is going to happen and that you're going to get married and they're invited. Um, you're also fighting a little bit. Um, mostly that was my fault because at one point I made a comment about serving our guests Hot Pockets at our wedding, uh, which for any man in here that's also planned a wedding, no, that's a terrible comment to make <laughs> to your, your fiancé. But we're also like enjoying the process. We were enjoying one another. We were getting excited for the life that was ahead of us. There was so much going on in this period of time, but that was also a waiting time. So you see that waiting can be an active process too. And waiting on the return of the Lord is similar. There are certain things that he's given us to do as we sit in this in-between. Where yes, we know that Jesus has come. We know that he is, that he has died and he has resurrected and he's with the Father but we're waiting for him to come back and there's things he's given us to do. And I'm going to talk a bit more about that, that practically. In this time in between, if you're a believer in the Lord, we don't, this isn't a time that we're supposed to sit really fearful and like, oh, I don't know, like when he comes back, like what he's going to think of me. We have reasons in scripture and through the Holy Spirit to have confidence in the Lord. But as I referred to at the beginning, this also isn't a time where we sit back self-righteous and we're just waiting to tell the world, I told you so. And said this, this time is supposed to be uh, a time of, of what Scripture calls it is, is a time of sober-mindedness, right? If you use that word sober, we usually refer to it when people who have been drunk is because they're finally in their right minds. They understand what's going on. They're aware of what's going on around them. They can interact with other people because they're in touch with reality. And that's how Jesus calls his disciples to be, sober-minded. Like, yes, we know that the world is broken, 
We know that it's messed up. We know that it's hard here. We know that there is, uh, there's people who don't walk in wisdom. We know there are lies of the enemy that pervades society. But he's also called us to act in a certain way. And really, like, our response as believers when the day of the Lord is approaching is just like, like Lord, we just want to be found faithful. Do you ever think about that? Like, Lord Jesus, when you show up, like, the last thing that we should be thinking is, like, all the people who are finally going to realize they were wrong. We should be thinking, Lord, I just want to be found faithful. Like, when you come and I see you, like, I don't want to shrink back. I don't want to suddenly remember all the times I didn't claim your name when I could have. I don't want to remember all the times you, you gave people in front of me to love. You gave me chances to, to share your word. You gave me chances to actually be your disciple, and I just shirked back. We just want to be found faithful. And so that's what it means to be ready for the Lord. But there's another question that this, this parable asks, which is who needs to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? Who needs to be ready for the second coming of Jesus? Let's look together in verse 41 through 42. Peter asks a question. He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? For us, he means like the 12 disciples, those that were, were really, really close to Jesus. And the Lord answers him in typical Jesus fashion. He doesn't just answer the question. He asks another question. <laughs> and he says, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion and food at the proper time? And so what we see that Jesus is doing here, and I'm going to, I'm going to assert that Jesus isn't throwing away individual responsibility, but what Jesus does outline to Peter real quickly here is that there are levels of responsibility even when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't a statement about worth. This isn't a statement about who's loved more or who's loved less. This is really just a statement about stewardship. Who's accountable to God for what? We're all going to be accountable to God for different things depending on how God has called us, right? Just very practically, um, the elder, like even if you were to just take our church, for instance, right? Um, if you have an elder, like Elder John or Elder David, or a pastor like Pastor Justin, or, or a teacher or a preacher, we're going to have different expectations on them than we would somebody who just joined the church last week and, and just came to the Lord. Am I right? Like there would just be some, some good, different, healthy expectations. And Jesus is, is saying something similar here, that there's just going to be different levels of accountability depending on what your station is in the church. But we all have to be ready, right? It's not like elders and pastors have to be super ready. But if you just got here, like, don't worry about it. You know, go do your thing. It's no, everybody needs to be ready. But if you're a leader, if you're a pastor, if you're a preacher, if you're a teacher, if you're an elder, if you're leading a ministry, then you aren't only responsible for your own readiness, but you're actually somewhat responsible for the readiness of others. You have to help others be ready to partake in the coming of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that heavy? I, I feel like the Lord gave me such a perfect, I didn't have an illustration for this section. I really didn't. I was like, I'm just going to let it speak for itself. But the Lord just like literally right before I got up here gave me the most perfect analogy for this. We were sitting here taking communion and uh, they're not in here. So I'm going to use them as, a, as an example. But Judah and Levi were sitting right here and they began to, to try to open the communion elements, right? And, and Judah's, I think, nine years old now, I think almost 10. And so he opens it easy. And, and Levi, he got the bread, fine, and he's working on that, that juice. And he can't get it. It does that thing where like half of the film stays, even though he got it up. And he's like trying to stab at it, and he can't get it. And, and Judah just reaches over and grabs it, and he opens it. And he's like, 
I don't know, in my, in my mind, he says, here, Judah, or here, Levi, you know, drink of the blood. Be ready for Jesus. <laughs> right? That's the Lord. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I don't, I don't ever sit here. Um, and that's, right? But nobody's sitting here being like, oh, man, Judah thinks he's better than Levi. No. <laughs> I mean, he might at times, but in this instance, <laughs> Judah was just doing the role of an older brother that God had given to Levi. Right? And so it's a really beautiful thing that the Lord has called leaders and preachers and teachers to. But according to this passage, there's, there's, I mean, if, you, if you're a leader or a preacher or a teacher in here, like when you read this passage, part of you also trembles if you read it correctly. Um, if we go down to verse 46, right, it says, the master of that servant will come on a day. So it's talking about this. Sorry, let's start at verse uh, 45. It says, if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, uh, and begins to beat the male and female servants to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. That's one of those phrases we don't put on the billboards, we don't put it on a T-shirt. Jesus will cut them, or the master will cut them to pieces, right? There is such a weight if God has put you in a stewardship and responsibility over others, not even just in the church, in your household, in your ministries, in your job, there is a weight and a responsibility there to the point where Jesus says, if you abuse that, if you abuse the people that I've actually called you to care for, that's just as bad as being unfaithful. And so the burden on leaders is great, but there is still individual responsibility. So I'm not going to discard that. If we look at scripture in the, in the total, like I don't want anybody to walk around here and just be like, yeah, them leaders better have us all ready for Jesus. Um, when you go to look at Matthew uh, 25, verses 14 and 30, Jesus tells this beautiful parable. Uh, we call it the parable of the talents. And if you know that one, it's uh, this master is going away and he leaves all of his, three of his servants, different levels of treasure, right? Like he gives one, two pieces of gold, one, three pieces of gold, the other five pieces of gold. And two of them go away and they use that gold, they invest it, they, uh, they work hard with it, and they're actually able to earn the master more money. But there's one who's really, really fearful. And what does he do? He goes away. He buries it, and he waits for the master to come back, and he says, here, I just, I kept what you gave me. I didn't do anything with it. I just kind of kept it. And then the master says it's actually that servant that he calls wicked because he didn't do anything with the stewardship that God had given him. So if God's given you things to steward, if he's given you ways to minister, these are things that we must use as we wait for the Lord to come back. <clears throat> if you have something from the Lord, whether it's a church leadership position vocational leadership, whether you're a leader in your job, whether you have a gifting, whether it's to sing, to teach, to preach, to serve others, whether you have a family, God has given you all, whether you have singleness, God has given you all these things to steward until he comes back. He's saying, I've given this, I've given this to you, take care of it, use it for my kingdom, use it for the good of others and for the growth of the kingdom, and we'll talk about it when I get back. And when we do that, that's what it means to be ready for the coming of the Lord. But what does this practically look like? What are some things you can do with your hands as we wait for the coming of the Lord? This is the part that I like. This is where we get to get out of that kind of metaphysical feeling part. We get to kind of start to look like, is there, is there dirt underneath our fingernails? And is it the right kind of dirt? Um, so I'm just going to give us, I'm just going to give us four ways uh, that we can, we can, uh, and this is based on scripture. This is based on like when I look kind of throughout church history. These are four ways throughout scripture and throughout church history that we see Christians showing themselves ready for the coming 
of the Lord. Now, this is an exhaustive list. Don't come up to me afterwards and be like, David, you forgot this one. I know I did. Um, but these are, these are four ways that I think, uh, I think our church both needed to hear and to be uh, challenged by this weekend or this Sunday. And I do want to say also before I, before I share these, these four, and I'm really just trying to build the anticipation. Uh, <laughs> I'm not getting straight into it. You have to wait. Um, that these, these ways I'm about to outline, these aren't ways that you can merit or earn your salvation. All right? So I'm not about to give you four ways that you can know that you're accepted by Jesus when he comes back. All right? The only way that you can know that you're accepted by Jesus when he comes back is if you put your faith and your trust in his work and his work alone to save you before God. Okay? And so before I go any further than that, um, if, if you're here and you, and you don't know Jesus and you're kind of like that person I mentioned at the beginning where when you hear about the second coming of the Lord, you're just, yeah, I don't know, I believe all that. Um, that I, I, again, I said I'm, I'm glad you're here and, I, and we welcome that doubt and we welcome that, con that, that conversation. But these four ways that I'm about to offer are for the people who, who know the Lord, who have trusted the Lord and want to find themselves, as I talked about at the beginning, find themselves faithful when he comes. Um, but if you're on the other end of the spectrum, uh, step one is to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And from there, these are the practices that are going to keep you mindful of him, ready for him, waiting for him, and the ways that he calls us to. So the first one is communion. And again, I didn't know we were going to take communion this morning. Um, and I just wanted to bring our attention to that, that verse that we, we read it uh, every Every time we do communion, and, and sometimes when you are really familiar with things, you start to lose just like the beauty of it. Um, but there's a reason we, we take communion, and, and it says it in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Justin read it this morning. At the end of communion, we always say this verse, for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you what? You proclaim the, the, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So when you're taking communion, this isn't just a dead ritual. It's not even just a reminder. Um, it's a proclamation. We're saying that, yes, Jesus has come. Yes, Jesus has died, but also that he is coming back. And we know that one day that our fellowship with him will be pure. The Bible says that right now we look through windows that kind of look like these windows, right? They're dimly lit. We can't see clearly through these windows. I don't know if that's a tree or if that's a car or if that's a person. Like, it's just not clear, all right? But one day when Jesus comes back, it's going to be clear, all right? But until that, then we take the bread and we drink the wine, and that's what our fellowship is at this moment until he comes back. And so that's the first one. The first way, one of the first things that we can do to just practically stay ready is to take communion, but not just as a ritual, as an actual proclamation, and the second thing is giving. Now, this might come as a surprise. This isn't a sermon on, on giving or offerings or, or, or new endeavors for, for the church that we need to finance. Um, but I really thought about giving when I got to this passage, especially in light of the rest of what Jesus has been talking about around this verse. And I just want to remind us that when God calls us to give financially uh, to the things of the kingdom, he doesn't call us to do these, to do these things because like God is poor and he needs things from us. And unless we give, like God can't do what, what he wants to do. Um, he invites us to give for our own sake and for our own hearts before it's ever out of any type of need. Um, he invites us to give of our finances to protect our hearts from greed and to unite it with the things of his kingdom. 
I think Justin preached about greed a couple weeks ago, and he, and he said it really well that, like, like, greed really just starts to revolve around all these things are mine, and it's about what I can do with it. And at the end of the day, that's not the posture of a kingdom-minded disciple. But when we say all that I have is from God, and I just want to steward it well, and I want it to go back into the things of the kingdom and the gospel going forth and people being saved and the church growing, then that's an entirely different heart posture. Uh, if you look at, at Luke 12, verse 32 through 34, this was uh, the passage from, from last week. It says this, <clears throat> so just a, a reminder. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you, what? The kingdom. So he says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then verse 34, I love it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so when we give, it's this way of saying, like, we want our treasure and our heart to be centered around the kingdom. Not ourselves, but around the kingdom. And that's a way that we stay ready for the coming of the Lord. Because one of the scariest things that could happen would be the Lord come back and he finds our hearts not about the kingdom, but about ourselves. So that's the second way that we can practically be ready for the coming of the Lord. Uh, and, and the band, you can go ahead and, and walk this way if you want. But the third one is mission. Now, mission is, is a fancy word, but it really just means doing the things that the Lord has given you to do. This goes back to those talents and those giftings that he's given us to steward. I believe God has given, us, given each of us in here talents and giftings for the encouragement of the church, but also for the good of the world. Uh, for the encouragement of the church, but also for the good of the world. That when Christians are using their giftings in a way that serves the church and serves the world, uh, the gospel will go forth. And so whenever we do this, we continue to, sh to show that our hope isn't in this world. Like when Christians are on mission, really what we're doing is we're serving in a way that's saying, hey, our hope isn't of this world, um, but we're actually just inviting others to come and be ready for the kingdom of, or for the coming of the Lord as well. Uh, that's why, I mean, I get a lot of encouragement, obviously, when it comes to mission from, from the Great Commission. And this is that, that verse at the end of Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Uh, if you come from an evangelical church tradition, like I have, you know, like we, we just live and die by that verse. Like we've heard it since we were kids. And, and for me, it was always just like, go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. And so I was focusing a lot on like just doing this thing that God had called us to do. Uh, but it really wasn't until I got older that I started to realize the beauty of this verse is at the end of it, where Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so Jesus is with us, but it's in the context of us going and doing what he's called us to do. And so when he calls us to do things, it's because he wants us to be with him even more. And so another way that we stay with Jesus, that we are ready for a second coming, is we make sure we're doing the things that he's called us to do and that we're on mission. And the last one uh, that I want to share is abiding. To abide in Christ is the fourth and final way, at least that I have for us this morning, uh, that we can show ourselves ready for the coming of the Lord. Now, now, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? This is kind of, it can be a very churchy word that's, that's thrown out, but I think it's, I still think it's the only appropriate word. Like, I'm not going to say, like, do your quiet time. I'm not going to say read your Bible. At, fir at first, this point was prayer, but I was like, no, it's just, it's not enough. A lot of us pray. We pray before we eat. We pray when somebody's sick. Um, and all those things are a part of this, but I want to use the word abide for a reason. 
In John 15, it's one of the most powerful portions of scripture I've ever read. Jesus constantly calls his disciples to abide. He says, abide in me. And abide, that's the same word that kind of means like to dwell. And it's got the same imagery of when God was dwelling with, his, with the Israelites in the desert, right? Like they were wandering in the desert alone, but God was still with them. It says his presence was with them. His presence was abiding with them. It's like a tent. Like God had spread his tent over them. That's where he lived and he lived with them. And that's the same thing that Jesus calls us to when he says to abide in him. It means like that's when you sit with Jesus. Like for me personally, sometimes I'm just sitting there in silence. I'm like, Lord, I can't really read scripture this morning. Like it's just not, it's not sitting with me, uh, but I'm gonna still sit with you. And sometimes like I'm trying to pray and I just feel like, I feel like they're just hitting the roof and bouncing back. And I'm, Lord, I can't, I can't pray, but I'm still just gonna sit with you. And so when you, when you sit with Jesus, when you enjoy him and you hear his voice and you allow your life to be oriented around what you find there in his presence, you are making yourself ready for his coming. And there's a reason why we have to do that daily. It's like you're doing a daily readiness check of is my heart ready for the coming of the Lord today? And I want to leave us with uh, this last passage in, in 1 John and then, then we'll close um, and I think that this is the word that the Lord has for us this morning when it comes to being ready uh, for the coming of the Lord. First John verse 228, he says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. So church, let's abide in Jesus. Let's do the things that he's called us to do. And let's pray. Now, Father God, this is your word. And Lord, I pray for those in this room that sit skeptic at your coming. Lord, and every, every honest believer in here would know that there are times when we're like, Lord, are you really coming back? It sure has felt like a long time. But Lord, we also know that when we look at scripture that your delay is actually grace and patience towards those who are perishing. And Lord, I know that this room in here, there's too many people in here for there not to be people who are perishing. And so Lord, we know the very fact that you have delayed up until this moment is for their good. And Lord, we pray that they would turn and trust you and be ready at your coming. And Lord, I pray for your church. I pray for those who are called by your name. God, that you would make us ready, that we would not get distracted by the things of this world, by the culture battles, by all these things that are so temporal. But Father, you would get our minds focused on what is above. God, even in the earthly responsibilities that you've given us, Lord, whether it's raising a family, whether it's working in leadership positions, whether it's, it's leading a church, Lord, whether it's going on mission, Father, we pray this would all come from a readiness posture of Jesus, you're coming back, Lord. We want to be found faithful. Lord, would you make us faithful? Only you can do it, Father. Lord, and I just, Lord, I just, I stand in front of these people as somebody else who, who just wants to be found faithful, Lord, who's, who's striving for it, Lord, who knows there are so many things every single day that could just take us in a thousand different directions, Lord, that these currents are strong, Lord, and these voices are loud, but the voice that you call us with beckons sweeter, Father, help us to hear it, Lord. Lord, make us faithful. Jesus' name, amen. Church, I know there's a lot to unpack here.